hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. The Grand Canyon is celebrating 100 years this year. So a little later in the podcast, we'll get some tips on visiting the Grand Canyon during their centennial year. Plus, we'll head to New Brunswick to learn about the historic Algonquin Resort located in Andrews-by-the-Sea, New Brunswick. It's been around for over 100 years. But I want to begin by chatting about tour guides, more specifically how a great tour guide can make all the difference to your holiday. And that's the title of a recent article by Kevin Chong. He's an author, travel writer, and lecturer at UBC. And Kevin joins us now to talk all about tour guides. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited about uh, to see your article, uh, Why a Great Tour Guide Can Make All the Difference to Your Holiday and How to Pick the Best One. Uh, I, that's that's true, right? I, I, I guess it depends on where you're going. And if you've never been there before, if you have someone holding your hand and showing you uh, where to go and where not to go, that really uh, makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, especially if you're going... Um for like a week or 10 days, as opposed to being a backpacker who's got three months and all the time in the world to plan for it. I know when I go on vacation, uh, it takes all the energy I have just to book the hotel and the plane ride. And beyond that, you know, getting the kids into the car. Um, there's <laughs> yes. not a lot of time to really sort of scope out your destination. Well, that's true. So now uh, there's good ba- uh, travel guides and there's uh, not so good travel guides. How do you pick a best one? You know, it, I think it really boils down to knowing what you want and uh, and not pretending that, you know, um, you're an adventurer when you're really somebody who's kind of timid, uh, knowing what you want to see, knowing if you're, you know, traveling with a tour guide who's great with families is not the same as a tour guide who's great with adventures, you know, and, and just Googling best tour guide in Peru uh, won't necessarily lead you to the best result. So it's kind of like knowing uh, like your own needs and uh, sometimes asking the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, it can involve, you know, uh, going with a really great uh, tour operator. When I went to Peru in August, I had a, a great tour operator named uh, Quota, K-U-O-D-A. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so that's sometimes what you do when you're going in advance. But if you are, you know, in a city and you need a tour guide, sometimes you can just ask the concierge in the hotel and they can be very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Are people afraid to admit that they use a tour guide? Sometimes they kind of go, you know, because there's a lot of people out there that they just kind of wing it on their own and they like that, but you don't know what you're missing when you don't know, right? Right. I think some people for, you know, uh, the idea of authenticity or for the, you know, the cost savings, uh, they just prefer to use their lonely planet and sort of uh, just just explore on their own. And I think that's great if you have a lot of time, if you are, you know, if you're not traveling with a family and, and there are people standing around because, uh you know, things can go really poorly just because, you know, you, you haven't eaten in two hours. Mm-hmm. Things can go really, uh, a trip can go sideways when you, you know, you, you dream about going to this uh, museum and you happen to go on the wrong day, the day that it's closed. And a tour guide, a local will know that. And sometimes a tour guide will know these things that uh, you might not catch in the tour guide, uh, in the Lonely Planet. They mm-hmm. will uh, point out something that is really sort of, uh, uh, you, you would overlook. I, when I went to uh, Cusco in Peru in August, I my tour guide, uh, 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 Boris, uh, he told me he took me to this market, and I would have ignored it. I, you know, I don't think much about markets, but it was like a great experience. There were all these vendors selling uh, chicken soup, uh, like like one after the other, and it was such an interesting <laughs> cultural experience. So I have to say that uh, you, they know 
all the special places. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true because, uh, like I say, you don't know what you don't know, and you some kinds sometimes kind of just glaze over some things. Like you, you mentioned markets or other things where you kind of go, hmm, yeah, whatever. But when you go there, you find out that it really is interesting, and you meet all kinds of different people. So you never would have uh, learned that experience if you didn't have a tour guide, right? Yeah, vice versa. Um, there's a place that you might be, you know, dying to go to. It's on your bucket list, and it's actually really, in some ways, overrated. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I was dying to go to Machu Picchu in August, and and it's just, you know, if you don't go right in the crack of dawn, which I didn't do, uh, it is just overrun with tourists, people trying to sell you things. And thankfully, I had a great tour guide who. Uh, who you know showed me other great sort of Incan uh, sites and and that you know are those are the memories I'll take with me those sort of uh, uh, things I didn't sort of have uh, on my bucket list at the start that the tour guide really led me to. Mm-hmm. And it's not an easy job, is it? <laughs> I've known people that are tour guides and they're very good at what they do and they make it mm-hmm. look so easy, but it's not an easy job. No, I, and I think the when I've had poor experiences with tour guides, there are people who are definitely, you know, well-trained and well-informed, but they just don't have, like, the people skills. Now, mm-hmm. they, they'll sort of recite facts and tell you all you need to know about the city, but they don't know when they're going on too long. Or they're people who uh, can't manage their time and they can't read a room and understand that everyone is hungry and they'd rather not hear about this ruin at the same time. So, yeah, it, 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 it takes a lot of special skills. It takes a real sort of uh, love of a place, um, when I've traveled, um, you know, the tour guide is sometimes the only sort of local that you meet, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, and you get to know. And so you kind of form a bit of a bond with them. No kidding. The article is Why a Great Tour Guide Can Make All the Difference to Your Holiday and How to Pick the Best One by Kevin Chong. He's an author, travel writer, and lecturer at the University of British Columbia. A pleasure chatting with you, Kevin. By the way, we'll put the links uh, on our website to the article, and they can read it for themselves. So uh, thanks for your time, Kevin. Appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me, Ryan. Dave. Well, a beautiful area to visit in the Maritimes is the Andrews-by-the-Sea area of New Brunswick. That is home to the historic Algonquin Resort. It's been a landmark for well over 100 years to the area. And to tell us more about it is Denise Bradbury. She's the Director of Sales and Marketing for the Algonquin Resort. Hi, Denise. Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm very excited to learn about the Algonquin Resort. Uh, It's been around for a long time, over 100 years, I understand. Absolutely. This year, uh, the resort has been around for 130 years, actually. Well, that's a, <laughs> 1889. That's a long time, so I, it's, it must have a colorful history, right? Very much so. Um, we have seen many uh, celebrities through the years, uh, prime ministers, uh, travelers, lots of people come annually. Um, most recently, in 2016, in January, we had a visit from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his cabinet. Um, they spent uh, three days with us and had some meetings, and that was quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, tell me about the area, uh, the St. Andrews by the Sea, New Brunswick. I have to say, I have never been. So tell me about the area first, and then we'll get into the, some of the nuts and bolts about the resort itself. 
Okay, well, the area is, um, we are an hour's drive from St. John, New Brunswick, and we are right in the Bay of Fundy. So as the Bay of Fundy opens into the Passamaquoddy Bay, that's where you will find St. Andrews, New Brunswick. We are across the St. Croix River from Maine, uh, so our U.S. border is about 20 minutes from St. Andrews. Very lovely uh, town was established in the 1700s by uh, U.S. Well, it wouldn't have been the United States at the time, but settlers that came over uh, and wanted to remain loyal to the British crown moved into St. Andrews. So we've got a rich history with with Britain. Um, Shipping, fishing, lobster fishing, and today, whale watching is a big um, experience when you come to St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. Lots, of, lots of interesting things to see and do. Oh, I can only imagine, uh, especially with a resort that's been around for 130 years. So tell me about the Algonquin Resort itself. How many rooms and, and some of the amenities and what your uh, guests can expect when they're uh, staying there? Okay, well, we, um, we are historic. However, we are fresh and new. We did a, a major multi-million dollar renovation in uh, 2014. We had closed for a year and a half prior to 2014 to do a complete renovation of the property. 233 guest rooms. And as you can imagine, with a um, historic property, lots of different shapes and sizes. But we've renovated our bathrooms. We've insulated. We've put in heating and um, cooling systems, new windows, patio rooms on some of our our guest rooms that look out over the front lawn. We um, added an indoor pool and water slide during this renovation because we are a year-round property. And uh, knowing that in the wintertime, guests like to swim as well as in the summer, <laughs> uh, we have an outdoor pool, but we added the beautiful indoor pool and water slide for kids and families. Nice. It's nice to have the option of both, right? Absolutely, yes. Uh, I'm looking on your website again. It's algonquinresort.com. All kinds of activities uh, around there. Uh, Golf in particular. Tell me a little bit about that. Obviously, in the wintertime, it's not open, but uh, when does it uh, begin to open? We usually open uh, the last week of April and operate until the 31st of October. And the golf course is beautiful, uh, seaside golf. Uh, just like if you were on the West Coast, your golf course, you'd be looking up at the mountains. We have beautiful water views from now all of our holes at the golf course. We did a uh, redesign over the last two summers with a well-known golf architect in Canada, uh, Rod Whitman. And he spent uh, two summers with us redesigning and reshaping the course uh, so that now all 18 holes have water views, views of the hotel, and views of the town. Um, it's a nice, easy playing course with some you know, different degrees of difficulty, but from an, an avid golfer to a, a new learner, you can have fun on our golf course. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, food and dining is always a big thing when uh, staying, especially uh, on the East Coast and in the Maritimes. Uh, you mentioned some of the, the seafood type thing, but t- tell me the different dining options that people have when they're staying there. We have um, a casual bar and restaurant on our lobby level called Braxton's. Uh, We named it after one of the original executive chefs back in the 1800s, George Braxton. Uh, It was an American, African-American chef who worked for the property. Um, We thought it'd be nice to keep with the history and use some of uh, you know, his, his styles of cooking and recipes. So we've adapted a couple little things uh, to our menu to, uh, I guess, honor him mm-hmm. and gave, gave the name. So we do have a lot of seafood on our menu, as you mentioned. Seasonally, we will, you know, if lobster's in season or halibut, salmon, 
Uh, we do, we're, we've got a lot of blueberry growers in our region, so we'll do blueberry-inspired desserts. Um, we try to buy locally for our restaurant wherever we can. Mm-hmm. So that sometimes limits us, but sometimes uh, can be an abundance of local food and produce. And then we have um, we have a more, um, I guess, historic place to dine. We have a front veranda that is enclosed with large windows that overlooks the front of the property. That's where we serve our breakfast, and next year that's where we will be serving our finer dining for dinner. Nice. Um, and all the guests that come uh, over the years, they just love sitting in the veranda and looking out at the front lawn and enjoying breakfast and dinner. Mm-hmm. Then we have a clubhouse uh, restaurant at the golf course, which I have to say, on bias, it's the most beautiful view in town sitting <laughs> on the patio overlooking the bay. I bet. Uh, is that the rooftop patio? Again, I'm getting my reference from your website. Oh, no, our rooftop patio is different. It's a place where we have um, uh, social functions, wedding receptions, different things like that on the rooftop patio. Mm-hmm. Um, but our golf course patio um, at the clubhouse at the golf course lo- overlooks the 18th hole as well as the bay and the town of St. Andrews. Well, uh, a golf is obviously one uh, activity people can do there. You mentioned whale watching. What are some of the other activities your guests enjoy doing? Well, just down the street from us is a beautiful public garden called Kingsbury Garden, and it's um, home to a variety of different uh, gardens, a rose garden. There's a sensory garden that was established for the Canadian Institute for the Blind. We have a children's garden down there, a petting zoo type of experience, a resident artist who can do art lessons and uh, painting, sip and paint sessions with uh, guests. We have uh, an aquarium in St. Andrews. Mm. Um, It's a small town of Roughly uh, 1,400 people in the wintertime, but mm-hmm. we have a lot to offer. Being on the Bay of Fundy, there's a, uh, a research center and aquarium with um, all kinds of species that are found in the Bay of Fundy. So it's, uh, there's learning programs for kids and, uh, and guests that can, um, you can take in and learn more about the Bay of Fundy. We also have what is really unique to our region um, is an island called Minister's Island. And those of you on the West Coast and in Alberta may be familiar with the name William Van Horn. Mm -hmm. He was in charge of the the Canadian Pacific Railway when the railway was built across Canada. And he had a summer home on this small island called Minister's Island right off. It's about a um, five-minute drive from our resort. And you can visit the island, but you can only get there when the tide is out because you drive across the ocean floor to reach (laughs) Minister's Island. And it's really cool, Randy. You can drive over there. You have certain hours when you can visit because of the high and low tide. (laughs) And uh, you can visit his former home, his summer home, which uh, for, for being built in the 1800s is massive. Um, so New Brun- Tourism New Brunswick operates it in the summer as a historic place to visit. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like uh, it's pro- more of a summer destination, though, although there's probably some nice winter activities. But I, I imagine that's when you get your busiest time. And, and how, uh, how soon do people uh, want to start planning if they want to uh, get, right, uh, uh, get their dates right? Yeah, well, start planning now. <laughs> Summer does fill up. July and August, yes, they are our busiest months. However, we do have beautiful weather in the fall with uh, the leaves turning mm-hmm. color. It's a gorgeous time to visit, still great time to golf. And throughout the winter, if you are passing through, we have weekends from January through May where we do comedy weekends, food and wine weekends, food film weekends, um, different events, musical weekends. 
that just create a reason to come down and visit us. It's still pretty. Uh, the weather's still quite good. Um, you might have some snow, but being in the Bay of Fundy really gives us that warmer climate mm-hmm. um, throughout the winter. Excellent. Denise Bradbury is the Director of Sales and Marketing for the Algonquin Resort. Again, the website is algonquinresort.com. Thanks for your insight, Denise. It sounds like a, a fabulous place. Thank you very much, Randy. We hope to see you down our way. Well, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know it's quite a spectacular sight. And the Grand Canyon National Park is celebrating 100 years this year. So it's a great time to visit the Grand Canyon. And to give us some tips on visiting the Grand Canyon during their centennial year is Becky Blaine. She is the Deputy Director for the Arizona Office of Tourism. Their website is visitarizona.com. Hi, Becky. Hi, Randy. Uh, So it's the 100th anniversary of the designation of the Grand Canyon National Park. I was going to say it's 100 years for the, for the Grand Canyon, but it's been around for, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I guess a few million years. A few million <laughs> years, yes. <laughs> so how did the uh, designation come about uh, 100 years ago? So there was quite a few parks kind of designated in the early 1900s um, by President uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And so you know, we're very happy that Grand Canyon was protected in that way. Um, it used to see about a million visitors in the 1950s, and today we're over 6.1 million visitors a year. And so the conservation and the protection, um, that being a national park, is really amazing for this beautiful natural wonder. Mm-hmm. Well, you took the second question right out of my mouth. I was going to say, how many visitors do you get uh, a year? But uh, over <laughs> 6 million is a lot, but it's yes. a big park, right? It's, it's a, it covers a lot of area. It is. It's about 277 miles wide um, if you go along the Colorado River, and it winds around different, um, different parts, kind of across all of northern Arizona for the most part. And there's a north rim, which is um, open during the summertime. It's closed in the winter during uh, the snowy season. The south rim is by far the most popular that is the um, main kind of national park entrance. It's about an hour north of Flagstaff. And then um, off to the west side um, near Peach Springs is, um, people might have seen pictures of like the, the Grand Canyon Skywalk and things like that. That's mm-hmm. not officially designated national park. It's, it's owned and managed by the Wallapai um, Indian tribe there. But um, there's lots of different ways to experience, you know, maybe some of the different parts of Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what that was my uh, next point I was going to make. There's so many different ways. Uh, I've had uh, people I know that have done, you can actually hike down into the the canyon itself and camp out for three or four days. There's helicopter tours. There's all kinds of things. So expand on that a bit uh, on what are some of the more popular ways uh, to see uh, the Grand Canyon. There's really a way to see Grand Canyon um, for everyone, depending on, you know, how much time you have or what your budget might be. So, you know, very popular if you're coming into like the Phoenix area, there are day trips um, that can be arranged with a company like a Westwind Aviation and they do fixed wing aircraft. And there's only a certain number of companies that have permits to be able to fly over the Grand Canyon airspace. Mm -hmm. And Westwind is one of them. And they will fly you up do a beautiful scenic tour over the canyon, land you at Grand Canyon Airport um, in the little town of Tucson, right at the south rim 
kind of entrance to the national park. And then they can arrange for pink jeeps to pick you up and take you in a tour of the national park. Um, so that's about a half day. And that's really a great way. Say you just have one day and you want something really amazing and mm. fun to do. It's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime experience to be mm. able to see the canyon that way. There is, of course, like you mentioned, hiking. There's so many different trails, um, depending on your experience level and how far you really want to go. If you want to hike down, like you mentioned, and camp, you do need a permit. And those are all available through the National Park Service at nps.gov. Um, and some of those permits sell out quickly throughout the year. So it's always good to kind of plan ahead. Um, there's also the historic lodges at the South Rim, and there's some at the North Rim as well. So you can book a stay and be right there and kind of walk along the Rim Trail or, you know, experience the visitor centers and things like that if you really wanted to stay in the park. Um, day trips are, are very popular, too. You can go biking and horseback riding, um, swim, like when you said you, people hike down, the Havasupai, um, it's this amazing kind of bucket list destination where there's beautiful turquoise waterfalls at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. You know, people always think Arizona doesn't have any water, that we're in a desert. <laughs> yeah. And I've never seen in my life a more diverse and beautiful landscape as the state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Different elevations, different topography, different people. It's just, it's such an amazing place to be able to experience, do so many things. Um, even in one day, I mean, you can literally be in the Grand Canyon in northern Arizona or be in Flagstaff, and there could be snow, and you come down into the Phoenix or Scottsdale or Tucson areas, and then you're back in the Sonoran Desert, and it can be, you know, hot, warm and sunny, <laughs> and you could golf and lay by the pool, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, is it better, like when you're talking about uh, hiking, for example, uh, you know, it does get mm-hmm. warm, and, and you are out in the outdoors. Is it better to have a guide, or, or you know, if you're, if you're going by yourself, or not by yourself, going it alone, without a guide, uh, it, it helps to know what you're doing, right? There's some, probably some tips that you need to know. It does. There are tips on the Grand Canyon website, actually, that's run by the National Park Service. They do have some tips and things like that for hiking and how to have the best trip possible. There are warning signs, of course, on all the trails because they never want anyone to go down, un- you know, unprepared, inexperienced, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, some of the trails, like Bright Angel Trail, there are water stations and restrooms along the way, like at the half-mile mark and the one-mile mark and things like that. But you have to remember, it's easier going down. Um, you're you're hiking down the equivalent of like one mile in some places, right? Mm-hmm. You're standing at the rim. If you look, if you were able to look straight down, it's about a mile. So when you're hiking, it's switchbacks and things like that on these on these trails. And the hardest part is going to be coming back up, you know, regaining that elevation. And so you really do have to be, you know, kind of athletic in a way that mm-hmm. you know you're able to to walk for maybe four to five hours because even a, a mile down, you know can take you two hours to come back up just because of the switchbacks and the, the elevation you're gaining back on the trail. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's the 100th anniversary. I'm sure there's lots of events that uh, are going to be celebrated through the year. Can you touch on a few? Yeah, so the first one is going to be the Founders Day celebration, and that kicks off on the weekend of February 26th. So February 26th is the actual um, anniversary or centennial day celebration. But throughout that weekend, there'll be concerts um, at the South Rim, There'll be um, choirs by the Flagstaff and Grand Canyon schools, cultural demonstrations. Of course, there'll be cake. Uh, There will be ranger talks at the different visitor centers. 
You can even stop by and share your favorite Grand Canyon memories or sign the park's birthday card at the visitor center as well. There'll be special evening programming and speakers talking about the importance of the relationship between Grand Canyon and the park's 11 uh, traditional associated tribes. So that whole history and heritage piece that is so important across the state of Arizona. We have 22 uh, Native American tribes here in the state, and 11 of them traditionally call Grand Canyon their home. And as I mentioned, some of the tribes do still live there, um, you know, in the different locations around Grand Canyon or at the bottom of the canyon or mm-hmm. on the west side. And on the east side is um, Navajo and Hopi. And so, you know, it is their traditional ancestral lands, and it is very sacred to them. And so learning about that history gives you even more respect for the beauty and the wonder that is the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we re- celebrated uh, Canada 150 uh, two years ago. Uh, National Parks here had free admission. Is there any kind of celebration that way as far as uh, the Grand Canyon is concerned and some of the other parks? And if so, how are you prepared for the uh, onslaught of more people? <laughs> well, it. Summertime is always our busiest time here, uh, just because, you know, kids are out of school, families like to take that kind of traditional road trip. Um, I haven't seen anything specifically related to free admission um, around the centennial celebrations, but the parks do announce um, usually a free admission when it is, you know, a holiday mm. or something like that, where they really want to encourage people if they have the day off to come out and come to the park. So usually on those major U.S. holidays, um, those are announced. So I would just kind of stay tuned and look for, for more information. Um, on our website, we always link off to, to their information, too, on the nps.gov. They're constantly updating their calendar through, you know, throughout 2019 for the different events that they're going to offer because mm-hmm. um, they have a big star party and summer fest in June as well. Nice. It's very popular where you can you know, either visit by camping or you could stay in a lodge or stay in one of the nearby um, communities in the hotel. Grand Canyon was designated as an international dark sky community. So being able to be free of that light pollution and just stargaze and see the beautiful you know, mm-hmm. Milky Way over the canyon is, is an amazing experience. Oh, I bet. Uh, Becky Blaine is the Deputy Director for the Arizona Office of Tourism. Uh, the website, again, visitarizona.com. Congratulations on the 100th year of the designation of the Grand Canyon, and uh, hopefully you get lots of visitors and uh, have lots of fun. Thanks, Becky. Thank you so much, Randy. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, take a minute, rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And if you want to drop me a line, my email address is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.